Hey there, and welcome to the Fedora Podcast. This is episode number 30. We're going to be talking about Fedora Silver Blue and immutable desktops, and why uh, our guests are currently upset at me for saying it's an immutable desktop. Hi there, I'm Eric, the IT Guy Hendricks. I'm really excited to be with you. It's another Tuesday afternoon, and it is like 20 degrees cooler here than it has been, so I'm really excited about today's episode. And joining me is is, uh, is one of my favorite co-hosts, Mr. Joseph. Welcome to uh, welcome to the Fedora Podcast. Thanks so much, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this will be great. And I'm happy to say that uh, we are one minor tweak away from having the beautiful animation to kick off the show so we've got some music with it we've got uh, an animation there's just one more tweak we're waiting on so i'm really really looking forward to that um now i'm all about not talking meta about the podcast on the podcast so why don't we dive into our topic today joseph you want to tell us what we're uh, what we're going to discuss and then we'll bring in our guests so we can't talk about it without ruffling a few feathers, but uh, this is a very exciting episode because it's all about uh, immutable distros, immutable distributions. Uh, now, that's something that's been getting talked about a lot, not just because of there being a few distros out there, but because there are a lot of different approaches to immutability. There is a debate going on on what does immutability mean? Is that the best term? And 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 really, there's a lot of depth uh, to this topic, uh, almost on a distro by distro level. So a uh, part of today is going to talk about not just immutability at a high level, but try to tackle some misconceptions and and see if we can change the language a little bit. So I'll, I'll let our, our guests chime in with uh, how we should be pivoting going forward and, and try to clear things up. There, there's already a flame war going on in the chat. So why don't we bring in our guests and uh, we'll we'll get this episode kicked off. So we've got not one, but two guests today. So I'd like to introduce George and Timothy. Uh, George, why don't you go first and introduce yourself? Tell us uh, what you do for a living, if you'd like. What do you do for uh, What do you do for Fedora, and what do you do for fun? Yeah, so I'm George Castro. I started this project when I was actually on sabbatical. I currently work for the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, the CNCF.io, and I don't do anything from Fedora other than consume it and try to, you know, get get some of the feedback back in Fedora. I've been using Fedora full-time for maybe four years now and it was kind of time for me to start playing and uh what i do for fun currently right now working on universal blue and getting ready for kubecon so uh raising the kiddo upstairs and doing the best trying to be the best person i could be i guess awesome as a, as a fellow tech dad uh really excited uh, hopefully it won't be too long before they're on the show with you yeah, he's going to be the maintainer. That way I could just retire. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> That's one way to recruit, to get contributors. You, you raise them young and then they contribute for a long time. Lots of stability there, I think. <laughs> love it, love it. Timothy, welcome to the Fedora podcast. Same questions. What do you do for a living? What do you do for Fedora? And what do you do for fun? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm a, currently I'm a chorus uh, engineer at Red Hat, working on Red Hat Chorus as part of OpenShift. And in Fedora, I work on a lot of different things, uh, mainly on Fedora Chorus, and also I'm maintaining Fedora Silverblue and Fedora Kinoite as part of the KDE Seek. Awesome. And for fun, I dance uh, Lindy Hop, which is a swing dance from the 20s, from the US, very old dance, oh. but which is back in popularity right now. You know, I've hosted a lot of podcasts 
That's awesome. on a lot of different networks, and <laughs> that is probably a first. Uh, do do I dare challenge you to after the show dance for us on on live stream? I may try. I'm not sure how much is going to work with the camera out here. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see my dance moves. Uh, <laughs> All right. Cool. So I wanted to start out this episode zoomed way out. So before we before we adjust all of our uh, terminology, why don't we start with a very basic question of what is the goal of an immutable desktop? And then we'll kind of talk about why that's that's fallen into uh, disrepute, maybe. So what, what what's the goal? Why why would I want an immutable desktop? Okay, mine is going to be the most controversial, so all of you have to go first. Oh, all right, <laughs> all right, Timothy. He he uh, he threw the gauntlet back to you. So why don't why you? Right. What, what's the goal of an immutable desktop? Why why would we want one? So I I think for me the the main thing is that it, it makes it really hard to break my system. Like it it makes it super reliable. It, it which is why why I completely fell into this. I. I'm I'm gonna be like diving a little bit of history. Like I um, I came from Arch Linux. I was a huge Arch Linux fan. I was tweaking everything to my liking. I was building my custom packages. Everything was fully custom. But every time I had to change the things, etc., I had to plan ahead to take time because if I made a mistake, if I made a mistake during upgrades, and I had to to make sure I got time to fix things, etc. With our primary three with immutable distribution with silver pool with Kinoid, I just don't have that fear anymore. If whatever happens in the next update is there's a bug, there's a problem, etc., I just roll back to the previous version and I keep on with my life until I have time to actually look at the issue. Even like even for me, a developer, like sometimes it's not the right time, and I just want to go back and and, and live my life. I can give my perspective as, as more of, a, of an end user where my, my first exposure to the term immutable actually comes from Chrome OS, uh, where I was, I was a big fan. I was an early adopter. Um, for those who know, I got the Samsung Series 5 Chromebook, which is like literally one of the two first Chromebooks you could buy. Uh, and at the time, I was attracted to just the whole living in the browser piece. But as I learned more about what immutable meant, I was attracted to not just the stability, but the security aspect as well. So just knowing that things are, are very locked down and that it's a lot of the system port and system components are read-only. So I even if I wanted to mess something up, I'd really have to know what I was doing before I could mess something up. And especially once I transitioned to using Linux, um, it makes it even harder, right? Where obviously I, I try to sit on the terminal, so I think it's very unlikely I'll mess something up. Uh, but if I knew a little more, I could do more damage than I wanted. And so the the benefit of immutability to me is knowing that from a security standpoint, things should be very stable. It should just be harder. It should be harder for anyone to get into my system. Now, to what degree that's a misconception, depending on what I'm using, I, I hope to learn a little bit. I think I've, I've, I'm on the right track with Kinoite, but that's my take. So my my first experience with uh, with Silverblue was was very negative, and not because of anything wrong with the project or with with the spin. It was my expectations were not where they needed to be. So I I went in and I installed it. It's like okay, this is supposed to make upgrades. It's supposed to make my life easier. And so I went to go and start installing packages. And it's just like this doesn't work. Oh wait, no, maybe it's me. 
But when I when I think about this this whole immutability topic, the the thing that comes to mind is what we've carried around in our pockets for years is the ability to to do upgrades in place to for the operating system to be encapsulated away from all the apps. So you have the apps that download on their own. They update in place. It's easy to fall back to an older version. Maybe maybe not on a cell phone, but when when we get to say desktop scale or in my line of work, we talk a lot about uh, the the edge uh, of of your IT network. Um, so we talk about systems that may not get an, a stable internet connection. So when they have that ability to connect to the internet, they download slowly the the updated code, and until that code has been completely downloaded and validated, it stays on a running known good condition. So when I think about this whole topic, that's that's where my brain goes. Now, George, I, I had to cut you short in the pre-show because we were talking about this before we let, went live. So I really, really want to know, what are your thoughts on this topic? Not the technology specifically, but what what is the goal in this space? I'll tell you exactly why I started this. I was growing frustrated with the lack of the Linux desktop to keep up with literally everything else, right? Like out of like that YouTuber broke his desktop, that famous guy, what, three years ago, two years ago? And the major distros have really done nothing about it other than pretend that the Linux desktop is reliable, right? And instead people flame the operator for making a mistake. And I think I think it's absurd that I can spend $5,000 on a Thelio and it's not as reliable as a $200 Chromebook. So I wanted to really fix this problem. It was... It doesn't make sense to me. Like, just doesn't compute. Um, and Fedora was the furthest along. Um, but I did run into the same issues that you were having with Silverblue. And I had to wait until the OCI pattern was made available so I can bring the known good cloud patterns that we know do work in scalability and usability and all that kind of stuff. So for me, this is more about we know we have a thing that can get us there, right? And it's more about getting good base images and teaching people that this is the way forward and the way to go. Um, and like I said, this is going to be controversial. There are a lot of parts of the traditional desktop Linux model that are really unsustainable and they're just not going to work. Um, but a lot of people don't want to hear that. So here I yeah. am. I get where you're coming from, and that's definitely a complaint that I've heard as well from like some security-minded spaces where you hear Linux compared to Chrome OS or even Mac OS, and immutability is one of those one of those things. Uh, so I'm I'm here for it. I, you know, I, I've, I've, I'll be in your corner. <laughs> I'm done. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> no, that's that's really great. I I love that perspective, and I love your passion to fix this issue, because when people ask. A lot of times I tell them that my my primary operating system is iPad OS because no matter where I'm at, I can pull out my iPad, I can pull out my keyboard, and I know it's going to work. I don't have to worry about did I download the, the latest packages. And this is coming from a recovering Arch user. So, I mean, I, I, I feel that pain. I know what that looks like. So what, let, let's dive into it. I, th I think we strung the audience along. Um, so what what is the issue around immutability? There's there's uh, talk of like atomic in the chat and that kind of thing. So what are the terms at play here and what are the differences and why is immutable not really what we're striving for? I, I can start. Uh, I think the main thing is that as much as we would like it to be immutable, it's, it, it's not like 
you can still modify a lot of things on the system. The only thing that is read-only is the actual system files, the files from that usually the applications, the binaries, the icons, etc. But everything else is mutable, like on a regular system. So when we call the entire system immutable, we make it sound like you can't do anything with it, where essentially the whole point of what we're doing is to enable you to control how it is changed, how it evolves, how it is updated, like and do it on your on your own pace instead of being being driven away, like being overwhelmed by it. Like you, you, you control. You are in control of your operating system, and so the immutable term, in a sense, it feels backward for us at this point. George, you got more to add there? Yeah, and I, I feel it like takes away from the actual features of the operating system because everyone is kind of obsessed around the immutability and that's just really stamping out a final image at the end. And they forget the composability part, which is the important thing that we do, which is declaring what you want the system to look like and then having a thing that builds it for you. And then when you make changes, <coughs> you know, it like generates a new image. So every day you're getting like a fresh built from scratch OS. It's not like a people conflate it with file system snapshots sometimes, which we should probably talk about. But, you know, the, the entire point is that composability because that gives us the ability to share using the same common patterns with like GitOps. Ublue is just GitOps, you know, um, for your operating system. And, and by just reusing those patterns, it gives us that stuff. It's like you get a new supercar and you want to talk about the engine and the performance and everyone's like, but the seatbelts are uncomfortable. And you're just like, what? Why are we talking about the seatbelts? So, you know, just the, the fact that you can layer things now um, and you can get that customization. But if someone, if you share a config with someone that solves a problem that you have, you can integrate that into your system, you know, and then kind of stamp out a final image. Instead of the old days, you would just copy and paste a script from a forum, right? You would say, you know, Ublue is basically one of those operating system fixer scripts, right? Remember you, these used to come out and it would be like, fix your fix your OS, right? Adds the codecs and all the stuff that you want. And then people run it and then sometimes it runs all the way or sometimes the package needs to get updated. There's always, some, there's always something, right? And you can't guarantee that anyone can run that script and get the same result, right? And these kind of systems kind of remove that problem entirely um, because the either the image either finishes and builds correctly or it errors out and then it, the, the bad image never gets to the device, which is so awesome <laughs> um, uh, because you can you can actually save yourself from a lot of bugs. There's been issues in Fedora where we've been able to hold the package back, you know, with that RPM OS tree override command. And, you know, our images were able to save regressions from the flat pack regression. There was a recent regression in Podman that we were able to mitigate by just holding back the version because our community was able to kind of work on the composability part and get that to what the community wanted it to be. And then it gets stamped out at the end. And I think a lot of people, they get bent around the axle about being able to modify the final product, right? It's like when, uh, when your relatives ask you to modify a PDF and you tell them you don't modify PDFs, you modify the form and then you print out a new PDF so that you don't have to deal with editing PDS because that's awful, right? But people do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that, that's that's kind of where I'm coming from, I think. I hope that answers that question. I think yeah. so. Uh, if, 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 if I'm understanding correctly, 
you're telling me I don't have to go out and write a pile of Ansible playbooks to manage my RPM-based desktop? It's even better. Other than there's some limitations there, you could take those existing Ansible playbooks, and we need to enforce this pattern more. So far, I think Jim Campbell's the only one really like that was actively doing research in the area, is you can use your Ansible playbooks inside the container file and ideally stamp out an image. However, there's limitations. Timothy, I don't know if you know... Like, yeah, this is some modules that don't work. This is yeah, definitely we're part of work in progress where we so there's to give you a bit more context, there's a shift right now. Um, all of the distribution we're speaking about here, Silver Book, Inuit, and, and the family, uh, chorus and friends, uh, they they are based on RPM 3 and OS3 right now, and we're progressively shifting to container images, so the OCI uh, standard format. And so it's still an in-progress transition, uh, but the main idea is that you would be able, uh, using this format, to essentially take out the base image, the image that we produce as Fedora, the, the base desktop, and then you would have your own custom changes, which is what Universal, Universal Blue is doing right now. They take our images and they tweak things in soft packages, they remove ones, they had proprietary uh, drivers, for example, that we cannot ship for legal reasons in Fedora, etc., and all those things. And so this year, you could do the same thing with an Ansible playbook, for example. You could run your Ansible playbook to tweak your customization, your system, set up your settings, and you get then a new container image that you would deploy on your systems. Hmm. So uh, there was an article that I read, I think, last week that uh, the evil skeleton... Uh, put out called misconceptions about immutable distributions and it, it sounds very similar to what uh, george what you're getting at where a lot of the benefit of of, of supposed you know immutability as we're saying is actually from the maintainer and development side where there's efficiencies going on there in those processes helping things be uh, more consistent more stable so i now i understand your analogy of like fixating on seatbelts it's like it's almost like folks who are on the end user side we're consuming immutable distros. We're trying to get almost like our the bang for the buck of immutability. Like, what I got to do something with this immutability aspect? And it's like, no, no, that's not for you necessarily to worry about so much. That's just so that we can deliver a better distro to you. So the benefit is indirect, which which I think Eva Skeleton also mentions. Uh, does that kind of sum up a lot of of your feeling where it, it's primarily a benefit to developers that then you know, you feel as an end user because the distro comes up more more stable and more consistent. Yeah, because you can do what you want, right? If it's a container file, and yeah, we talked about Ansible, but anything you can put in a container file slash Docker file, we use those terms interchangeably. Um, Bash, Python, doesn't matter as long as the, the build finishes at the end. You know, you just you drag entire files. Well, drag, obviously, you can drag entire file systems in there because that's what we're booting. Uh, but yeah, you can you can basically figure out how to build it. And as long as it gets on the image and that kind of allows, one of the things I think is interesting is that GitOps aspect is it lets people like me who are kind of SRE, like ops background, and then you have your distribution work, right? It's like this new layer that's on top that allows us to, you know, we make new desktops all the time. Sometimes people want to try a new version GNOME with different, default options. So we work with Cassidy James Blade to make a separate GNOME image that was like his little vision or whatever. And Bazite is just Kinoite with a bunch of gaming stuff added, right? So you're kind of constantly building on previous blocks 
of the thing that came before you, but you can like choose what you want and what you don't want, which is really nice because that's the pattern. That's the pattern that we got from cloud, right? Like when you're, when you're building your app containers and stuff like that, you start with from, you know, CentOS five or whatever. What's the latest version six? Uh, sorry. Um, you know, and then you say, okay, now copy my node app into the container, you know, and then you do that thing. It's that pattern. Linux went through this 10 years ago. It's just the desktop is going through now. I think that is something maybe we should, I'm definitely being louder about it. You know, it's the, the, the pattern is kind of proven itself. I feel, uh, because a lot of people that are uh, contributing to universal blue have an ops background and they don't have a distro background. So it kind of, it's like, Oh, this is neat. This, uh, this is how I manage my clusters at work. And it's, it is <laughs> like, so I think that could be a good opportunity it, it, it to transition into, yeah, I, I think that could be a good opportunity to transition into. So what are the ideal, the preferred terms that we have And George, maybe you can start with that since you've already mentioned cloud and operations. Go for you it. You know, Fedora invented it, so I say you name it. Call it Atomic, but have it cover a bunch of things that are major transitions because you have to, you kind of have to format your machine to do this, right? So, like, the user has to make a, I am transitioning from one thing to the other. So I say anything that you feel needs to be in a transition, put it under the Atomic brand because we need, there's UK, uh, you, that UKI kernel thing is coming. Compose FS, like, I don't know how any of that fits Right. And then you could sit like X sessions are going away as soon as possible in the atomic brands, like basically acknowledge that it's a different set of criteria than what Fedora workstation is. And then you just future align to everything because you're going to get people that want to opt in. Like, I don't want to argue about X sessions. I want to get rid of that thing as soon as possible and get my software fixed. That's what I want to do. You know, and, and I feel like there's Fedora has this, opportunity because it is very unique in that composability. You know, one of the areas I could see really working this in is I'm trying to build out a home lab because I, I, I also work for Red Hat and uh, I work as a Red Hat Enterprise Linux uh, technical marketer. So I spend a lot of time talking to sysadmins, showing off new features. Uh, so being able to spin something up quickly to give a presentation and tear it back down is really important. And so one of the things that I, I could see this working out is I usually have a bastion host, something that only has like a single port open to the internet and only from certain IP addresses so that I can get back into my network no matter where I'm at. And right now that's just a Fedora workstation that very closely mirrors the, the, the tower I have over here off camera. And my thought is I need to replace that as quickly as possible with say silver blue that way I can define what that thing looks like because my hope is at some point, if my home network goes down, if the house loses power, I want certain systems to spin up somewhere else like DigitalOcean and having that identical system because it uses the exact same, the exact same file. That way I can get in, I'll have all my tools, I'll have my SSH keys, all those things are ready, no matter whether it's in my home lab or spun up somewhere else. And I, I really think this is the way to go, especially when you think about it at scale. If, if I were maintaining a lab or a classroom, this is the way to do it. The, not going in and managing 20 low-end systems all by hand. No, 
one image, set it on a server somewhere, deploy it every day, and you've got a clean, ready to go system wherever you're at. I mean, this, this, I mean, I was already sold on the idea, but this conversation really has me wanting to to jump into the terminal and and start building this. I, I really underestimated Silver Blue a few years ago, and just it's one of those things I've never gotten back to. But this this yeah. conversation is really driving this need to. I think so little about upgrades on my devices, on my mobile devices. Why not my desktop? Why do? Why am I still in a place where I have to? babysit my desktop my servers are managed by ansible my mobile devices are managed by automatic updates overnight why do i still babysit a desktop i don't need to i have other things to do (laughs) (laughs) can you believe this is controversial i still don't understand (laughs) i I got the new framework uh not the new new framework i got the framework 13 the intel one because i was starting a new job I put I put my image. I was I was done in three minutes, like as fast as it could basically DD to the disk. That was it. All, all my machines run off the same image, so you're always on you're always on the right stuff. It's it's fantastic. And then this is something that should be in the atomic definition. It includes a container runtime, and I think we're not being explicit enough to saying that the Linux desktop. A container runtime is now a critical component of the Linux desktop. I know people will Mm. think that's controversial, but it does allow you to run anything from everywhere. So any distro, any package, like I could kind of, you know, like there is no, I'm kind of in this post distro thing where like I left Fedora (laughs) hand on my host. I left Fedora hand on my host. And if I feel like having a Fedora user space that day, I have one. And if not, I use Ubuntu. If not, I use Homebrew. The, it, whatever the default Fedora one will be, like Toolbox and Fedora, right? A Fedora container. I'm not like no surprises there, mm-hmm. right? But like because everything is is built around OCI, you could just swap that out. You know, if you like Alpine, use Alpine. It's it kind of gives people a lot of, a lot of a lot of that flexibility. I think you know, especially if they have an older package. That doesn't really, it doesn't come in a flat pack or, uh, you know, or it might be troublesome or it's an older package that's discontinued and you need a feature. Just toss it in an older container and then go to town. At least it's isolated a little bit. So I did have a question because uh, we mentioned Atomic a few times here. So I, I don't want to go over and I think you, you guys, <laughs> I think everyone on here can correct me if I'm wrong regarding the history of the term. But um, <laughs> as I understand it, um, a lot of uh, the, the rise of what is now Silverblue and, and, and similar variants um, started off as Project Atomic. So Silverblue was originally Project Atomic. Um, that went through a rebranding that landed on Silverblue. Uh, then other the other... Um, uh, uh, Fedora spins that we have, they thought we would like to have uh, an immutable variant or an atomic variant, we should start saying. Um, and so they got their own branch. And now, which is why, Timothy, where I'd like you to share, um, why is it that we're interested in coming back to the, the atomic, not only as a term to describe the, the technical aspect, but also as a brand for uh, these these issues that have have this what have RPM fusion done RPM fusion uh, RPM OS tree in common. Yeah, definitely. The Atomic brand, the project Atomic, has been there for a while, and it's been shut down. And we're not kind of trying to revive it in uh, at least revive the brand. the The idea is that 
like we now we know that at the beginning I, I also was on full on immutable, 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 but now we know that it's it's not a right word to use to describe those projects, and it's confusing to a lot of people. So we want to use something else, and um, thus we're trying to revive the atomic brand and refocus all of the re regroup of those projects, all of those. Desktop variants in Fedora that are using RPM3 as a base technology uh, to to be regrouped under the Atomic umbrella. So this is a change in progress. It's going to be submitted to uh, the Fedora console for approval, uh, but hopefully soon we'll be saying Fedora Atomic Desktops instead of saying Immutable uh, Variants, and we would be rebranding, regrouping all of those. So. Right now we have Fedora Silverblue, Fedora Kinoite. So Silverblue is, is the GNOME desktop, Fedora Kinoite with the Kili desktop. We have Serisera with the Sway environment. And we, with Fedora 39, there will be Fedora Onyx with the Budgie desktop. And so some of those have already, are already planning to rename themselves to be more explicit. So be like Fedora uh, Budgie Atomic or Fedora Sway Atomic instead of keeping their own names. And so this is, yeah, a change in progress to move away from this immutable term that nobody really likes anymore, essentially, and um, to something that we could, that we can both uh, embrace and use as 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 a regrouping mechanisms and secret uh, or secret projects. Of course, is to make this a default in Fedora so that we drop the atomic term at some point. Yeah, we just call it Fedora. Yeah, yeah, yeah and just call it Fedora. <laughs> Fedora. Yes. So we've got we've got Fedora Silver Blue, which is this atomic approach to desktops with the GNOME desktop at its core. We've got uh, Kinoite, which is KDE, same same atomic uh, build, but it's KDE under the uh, at the core. And then uh, Cerisia, I've probably just butchered that. Uh, that's that's one of the tiling desktop managers, if I remember Sway. correctly. Sway. Thank you. And then yes. Onyx, we just mentioned, is coming uh, just a few weeks few weeks from uh, date of recording. Um, few may be a little little short-sighted, but uh, soon, soon, uh, we'll have Budgie. In fact, we, uh, we talked about Fedora Budgie uh, about a month ago uh, on this show. So if you missed it, go check that episode. Um, but the other thing we've talked about a little bit is, is this universal blue. This, this term has come up a few times. So for our... our for, Wow, I speak for a living. Um, <laughs> so, Universal Blue. Why don't you explain to us what that is, and and uh, and what some of the project goals are for for Universal Blue or U Blue, as is it's been called a few times. Yeah, so I was using Fedora for a long time. Actually, it was uh, Josh Burkus reminded me about the project, and I ran into Colin Walters at a at a KubeCon. There's this whole Kubernetes story here in the background, but you don't have to deal with that right now. <laughs> um, and as I started to dog food it. I found the pain points of things that were annoying to me and things like that. And once I realized how the OCI container thing was going, someone, not me on the Fedora discussion forums posted, Hey, you know, I'm having a problem getting the automatic OC, the OCI thing working. And I didn't know that it was live and landed in the distro. So I went that weekend with some friends and we kind of hacked something together. Um, and then I, I, we looked up all the videos on YouTube, things everyone hates about silver blue or whatever. And then it we fixed the top five things. The codex didn't work because if you over, if you add RPM fusion to if they don't do Timothy's extra step to unversion them, 
like you tell people, hey, it's more reliable. They add RPM fusion and it's like the same error they get in normal Fedora. So I, I wanted to fix that and I knew Fedora couldn't fix that. So we, we you know, we kind of find our place there. Uh, and then we just, we fixed that. We had a distro box because everybody just kept wanting distro box. Um, in the default images, we keep the Fedora flat packs. We don't try to do editorialized decisions. We do try to add hardware enablement in our main images. And then we have two images, Bazite and Bluefin, which are kind of more opinionated. They're like George's George's vision of the desktop or whatever. Um, and in there, I use like the Flathub flat packs instead. Uh, I ship Dopper, Docker alongside Podman. We I make a lot more editorial decisions around that based on the things that I feel. Well, it started off with me and then a bunch of us, you know, got together and it's like, all right, what are the top 10 things we can fix in Fedora that we can actually just like you would write a script for? Uh, so codex finding the thumbnailer programs for each desktop is hard. There isn't one, there isn't one binary. So some of them use a different one. So we had to figure that out. Um, and then the big one was NVIDIA drivers, mm. uh, because we build that in CI and the, the user's computer never has to build the NVIDIA driver. Um, and despite some of the issues that we do have with it, sometimes I still think it's one of the most reliable I mean, you don't have to build the kernel module at all. It just comes on the image, um, which is my question for Timothy. Can we make it so uh, we can get uh, KRGs in the container file working so we don't have to do that as an extra step? I brought this laundry list of stuff for you to do if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if there. Yeah, because there ideally what you want to do is be able to like, work up. you know, deny list, Novo and, and all that kind of stuff. Right now, the user has to do that extra step after they boot. So. You know, that's that's and that's all the yeah. images do. You know, they're productized silver blue and, and kino white. Let, let me get my notebook so that I can <laughs> write the facial list to that to to the continuous stuff. Uh yeah. yeah, I just want to say like I'm I, I really love the universal, universal blue project because it's fixing essentially the stuff that we cannot fix. Like we have legal constraints in Fedora. They are what they are. We have to live with them, and that's what it is. At the same time, we're also uh, trying to be uh, upstream first, full open source, and all of those. And so sometimes this clashes with the fact that you have an NVIDIA card in your, your machine. And so that's, that's life. But so we stick by our principles, and at the same time, the Universal Blue projects, it just let us fix all of the stuff that we cannot fix in Fedora. So I really like uh, the, the, this work here. It's it's awesome. For the Kurogs, I don't know. I, I would have to look it up, Mr. if that's possible. It's lucky that, that it's doable. It just needs to be plugged plug, plug in into the, to the code. Yeah, and, and your... I, I want to point out that we wouldn't exist without your CI test repo. Because Fedora mm. itself does not publish OCI images of all those desktops. You, yeah, you this... were doing it. Do you want to tell that that quick little story? Because it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, we started. So right now we're still in Fedora, building only the OS3 ones. And, and so the classic OS3 ones, that's what you use <laughs> if you install server book in wide by default. If you go to Universal Blue, you're switching to the container native ones, so to the OCI ones. Right now in Fedora, we don't build the uh, OCI ones, uh, but it's it's coming. We're working on it for Fedora 40, so hopefully we'll get there. 
and so it will be fully built by Fedora. So in the meantime, because we kind of need to get things started, I, I made a project on, on GitLab, GitLab CI, to get those images started. And this is what most of you blue users do to get uh, the, the images. It, it's still Fedora. It's still 99% Fedora. Uh, it's just built somewhere else. Nice. I, I love to see it uh, from a from like a, a higher level standpoint. Um, the fact that it seems well, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the work that's happening with the uh, atomic spin specifically is enabling a project like Ublue. Um, it just gets me excited to think that Fedora can be more of a platform because there are a few other Fedora based issues out there. And of course, look, I'm the Fedora marketing guy. I'm always going to say. Maybe try Fedora first. You know, I'll, I'll say that. But uh, to to see that other other projects are considering, you know, they have a niche that they're wanting to fulfill, and Fedora is the base that they want to use for for whatever they want to do. We see that with Ubuntu, where where sometimes the change that they're going to make to Ubuntu, uh, sometimes it's a little more under the hood, but sometimes it's more related to the desktop environment or adding something else for what have you. There we go. <laughs> it, it's a uh, it's just a slight difference that is it's not necessarily a neg on 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 Ubuntu. Ubuntu and what it is originally, but just, hey, we like using it. We want to do something else. And heck, if customization isn't at the heart of Linux, I don't know what it, what, what is. So uh, it's, it's, it's cool and exciting to see it develop. And it's not just, even though we do have a lot of spins, it's not just Fedora and our spins, but now people are taking extra steps and, and, and going in different directions. Uh, when we can, it, it is nice to see things fall under the Fedora project umbrella but and we do want to like like enable and support that type of thing uh, but the the power of the open source community and the desires and interests um can can easily go way outside that so i'm i'm excited and i also think it's really cool uh just all, all the stuff that's happening on top of fedora it's it's great <laughs> yeah ex- exactly like the the cool thing with universal blue is like it's it's really fedora inside of it it's it's not like you're making a new distribution based on another one no it's like you're using fedora then you sure you're adding tweaks on top etc but it's it's fedora inside of it and and so you're not maintaining an entire new distribution rebuilding all the packages no you don't do that you just you use fedora as the core and then you had just like your tiny custom layer of changes on top of it and it's just, just much more maintainable. And so you, you can do all sorts of burns that you like. A lot of people come to us in Federal Land and say, hey, I want to make this special use case burn for special lab something, et cetera. Et cetera. That's great. But like Federal itself, we're only so many people. We cannot just do all gen- all specific burns for everybody. And this here, it like enables us to make like the cool thing, and then you go out and you build your own special variants on your own. You don't need to ask us anything, and at the same time, it's manageable. It's it's sustainable instead of being a completely new distribution that's just not sustainable. Mm, that's a good clarification. Yeah. Thanks. I want to add to that because people say you say it's not a distro, but they think it's like marketing. It totally is marketing, you know. But also, <laughs> the, the, the important thing to remember is. Man, I've been around the block. Is you can throw away the U blue customization and rebase back to a stock Fedora image. Mm. Like you can't. That's not a distro. That's something else. And you could do it atomically. Now we're starting to find out that there's stuff in dot files that programs are conflicting over, which those issues should be fixed anyway, regardless of whether you're swapping out the system image or not. But I also think it 
offers Fedora a new opportunity. And I brought numbers for you. We have over 2 million image pulls. That's not a indication of users, but we know that there's been at least 2 million successful upgrades. That's pretty cool. Over 50% of our images are KDE slash Kino White, right? <laughs> like, and they've always dominated, which is very interesting to me because it is, we don't really say there's a default. It's like a grid and we just like list them out. Right. So people yeah, I feel, I feel Neil's going to be happy in the chat. Kinoite. Yeah. I'm just waiting <laughs> yeah. for it. Yeah. I know that there's there people it is. who use KDE who love Kinoite. We know that the Steam Deck device is basically, you know, a, a KDE thing. So I think there's a different opportunity here when you look at what's a distro and what isn't a distro. Fedora has this unique position where you have something like Kinoite and you have a upstream, right? And then there's not this, the lines are kind of blurred, right? You can kind of, I would love to see KDE and Fedora kind of figure out this because before there was like distro work and then there's like user work. Now we're, we're entirely that kind of uncharted territory. And I think a distribution has to be the one to do that. Like KDE and Fedora can make Kinoite and things around Kinoite, including, including Bazite to, to be a new, it's, it's, it's a new kind of adaptation of the distro model. And I think that is what, that's what I really want to be talking about. I think, with Fedora because Bazite, we, we have it working on the Steam Deck, right? And that's because of the help of these patches that we get from Nobara. And then there's Chimera OS. There's a whole another adjacent gamer community that are enabling us to get, and all these packages and stuff, all the coppers, they're all available for all Fedora users. You can slap together uh, your own thing. And I just think it's very cool that we can get, a, the model allows us to have a device where Valve paid Red Hat to work on kernel stuff. They do it properly, so it goes upstream. And then your community distro, Fedora, and then a bunch of nerds like us put it together and can get a newer version of the kernel to the hardware device faster than Valve can. That's kind of cool. <laughs> you know, and, and it feels like in every the ROG ally, these new devices are coming out, and Fedora, like, we can now, this model allows us to slurp in all that stuff but we still need the distributions to gather all the patches. Those need to be upstream. We, we, we automate coppers so much that it's kind of becoming a bad habit that we have all <laughs> these coppers, right? Like, but you know, like I feel like this is like where the, the, the discussion about the distributions role in all of this is, is crucial. And I know I'm over talking, but I feel like that was like an important thing that we wanted to say is like Fedora is the only one that you're the, like the only one that has this, um, you know, it feels like we've been on this expedition to figure out what's cool and things like that. And I think the numbers show, and, you know, I think the numbers show that I, you could, you could see when KDE people talk about these systems, like they're, they really have bought into it and I'm a hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the more you're talking, the more I understand how like, wow, we really are fixating on the fact that I can't touch system files. And there does seem to be a bigger conversation here about how we change what distributions are, like you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I, It's open source. We uh, yeah, we're not locked point. into the, you know, we're not locked into, you know, oh, you can't commit today. You're wearing your distribution hat, not your upstream hat. Like that's not how we, <laughs> you know, so I, I, I think it is interesting. And that's that's why I think the atomic concept as a name could help because it kind of, moves everyone past the thing, right? And then just, we, we, 
you know, Fedora should actually, you know, hey, let's policies are I'm not I'm not saying you shouldn't follow policies, but like, you know, there are certain things that don't make sense in in this kind in the atomic model that make total sense in workstation. And it'd be great if the conversations were around that kind of adaptability and things. Like, and we should be bringing in cloud folks, OpenShift folks, Kubernetes folks who have now we have a place to contribute, which is also great because I'm trying to align. I'm trying to align those folks to get excited about the Linux desktop because they're all Mac people. And that really frustrates me. That's the problem I'm trying to solve. So. All right. So two, uh, two quick questions. First off, where can people go to get universal blue? Uh, so you can get it at universal blue.org. And then I'll be rebranding slash relaunching Bluefin for KubeCon with new artwork. And just going to have a mission and all this kind of stuff. I've shown some Fedora people getting, trying to get that marketing uh, going on. And then uh, we have a discord and then I joined. There's a new SIG. Actually, Timothy, we should talk about the SIG so that we get people to show up. Yeah, definitely. Uh, hijacking your question, Eric. Sorry. Uh, oh, you're fine. We, Take it. <laughs> we we make we starting a new stake. So we're starting the atomic rebranding, and at the same time, we're starting the Fedora Atomic Desktop SIG. And so SIG, it's it's a term that means special interest group. Essentially, is just a way to regroup us folks into the same room, virtual room and have meetings from time to time to talk about things and make things happen. And so the goal of this SIG is to make Fedora Atomic Desktops the default in Fedora. So we're looking at, so first change of the SIG is the renaming, but then we're looking at doing things like fixing the bootloader updates, uh, moving to OCI containers as a default, fixing the way we update some flat packs across major versions, et cetera, all of those things looking potentially at removing Firefox from the base image, which is a very common request. Uh, oh, all those okay. Things. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. And we're doing this, like, in a gathering fashion. We gather people from all the people, all the other SIGs, all the other desktops. Uh, and, like, which is the cool thing here is that we're all working on the same base, on the same tech. And the desktop here is just as small part of it, like whether you're using Gnome Kitty or whatever, uh, the, the the whole stack, it, it's still the same for everybody. And so we've, we're fixing the bits in the stack here. That's awesome. So yeah, if you're interested, jo- uh, go check out the, uh, the Atomic Desktop SIG special interest group. And then my second question was, this is all open source and upstream. So uh, where, what, uh, what help is needed? Where can people go and, and start contributing? So, yeah, the cool thing is that, so we call ourselves Fedora to make, we like, we have like special names, etc. but we're Fedora. So like everything you do in Fedora, it's already helping us. So essentially all the work packaging, all the work testing, running Fedora, all the work you could do in all the things, or all the work you would do upstream. Uh, we benefit from it. So, and yeah, as we follow upstream usually closely, uh, we, we you get it very, very quickly. So uh, if you get involved in the federal project, you're already getting involved. If you want to get involved specifically into, into Atomic Desktop, then yeah, reaching out to the thing, look, uh, joining our matrix channels, uh, looking at our issue tracker would be good places to get started. 
Awesome. So we are getting close to the top of the hour. So, uh, Joseph, why don't you kick us off with, uh, we'll go around the horn here and, and get some closing thoughts and, uh, and we'll wrap up for today. <laughs> cool. So, uh, yeah, to be honest, my closing thought is uh, we need a part two because I did have a lot of other questions. Uh, on, on I could go on for hours. Exactly. Yeah, just quite, I mean, there there are questions like, you know, what? Uh, how similar are the the atomic variants? I'm see, I'm, I'm changing. How similar are the atomic variants to their uh, traditional counterparts? How does it work behind the scenes? Uh, questions on why are we letting Chromebooks eat our lunch? Uh, questions on the differences <laughs> between um, the other, which I don't know. I mean, I guess it's on, on, on the other dishes, how they want to approach the term, but, you know, NixOS, uh, uh, AI, uh, uh, I know it's not microOS now, but OpenSUSE's implementation, how those things are different um, and, and the, the pros and cons of different use cases for it. So, yeah, my I just would love to have a part two dive deeper and, and uh, just keep on talking about it. Because I do think, like everyone is saying, I think there is a, a trend in, within Fedora that, that this is the direction for the distro in the long term. Uh, and so that's it's, it's baby steps, right, in the, like, the weeks that we're talking about these things. But when we can imagine uh, how things can change uh, in the future, that's when we start doing something more exciting than just, you know, Maybe my lesson is, Joseph, there's more to be excited about than just that you can't mess up your system. <laughs> George, you can still mess it up. We just made it's just a little harder. Uh, okay. Oh well. Yeah, we can. We can the basic. <laughs> I'll avoid the terminal then. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. You can still blow away your root partition. Just a reminder. I I had someone do that. They like. No. George, closing closing. Thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to close out. But first, my call for help. Uh, our biggest problem yes. right now, Universal Blue, is uh, our installer. The the OCI support in Anaconda is like brand new, and trying to get that to work is beyond most of our skills. So if you have skills around Lorax, especially and Anaconda, Anaconda is like twenty four years old; it can drink. So <laughs> uh, you know, like we we've been struggling with that. We've been trying to get. We, we're finally getting in contact with the right people on the CoreOS teams to do that. But if you have that expertise to help us out right now, our, our installation experience is not very good. Actually, when people give up, we just have them install silver blue or Kinoa and then rebase to one of our images. Um, but like, we, we want to make that nice and clean so people can switch, uh, switch back and forth. And then the last thing I want to tell people is try it. Like, you know, uh, there's, there's no golden rule of what the Linux desktop is supposed to be. So, you know, um, 3% usage, after 30 years, I'm ready to try something new, you know? So, <laughs> uh, and, and we know the model works. It's worked in cloud. It's worked in mobile, you know, and it's just a pattern using the common tools is great. Sorry about the dog. Thanks for listening. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> right, Timothy. Yeah. As, as George said, try it. Like give it a try. It's, it's, uh, it, you, you will get hooked and, uh, and yeah, if it doesn't work, then try your blue first before giving up like start with fedora because like you know start with upstream but if for whatever result doesn't work you have an avia card or something go ahead and, and try your blue you'll you'll see it it's likely fixing the issues you, you will have awesome. and yeah i'm really glad to be to, to have been here on the show it's it's great to, to talk about this 
Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining us. And, and Joseph, thanks for, for hopping on and, and asking, uh, asking some questions. Um, so as we wrap up today, a uh, really, really, really big shout out to, uh, everyone in the chat. Uh, it's, it's been scrolling by like crazy. So you probably see me off staring at the wall. It looks like get excited. Uh, people chat has been going nuts. Uh, at peak, I think we had 32 people watching live. So that is awesome. Thank you all so, so much for joining us and helping make the, uh, the Fedora podcast a success. Um, we are usually live every other Tuesday. Um, so we've got a great list of topics coming up. We've got episodes planned from now through the end of the year. And um, so I, I won't spoil all the topics, but uh, actually I just saw a question go by about Twitch. We're currently live only on YouTube, but there is a, uh, there is a proposal floating around uh, to start a Fedora Twitch channel. So if you'd be interested in that, please put that in the comments below. Also, if you have any questions about today's topic or if you want to get involved, please comment as well. There's a, a group of us that watch the comments almost daily. Uh, so if you have any questions, we'll be sure to get those routed to either George or Timothy. Thank you all very much for showing up. Thank you for being a part of the Fedora podcast, part of the Fedora community. Uh, it is an amazing piece of technology or series of pieces of technologies. But this is uh, cool. Truth yeah. be told, the, the the real power of Fedora is the community. So really appreciate each and every one of you. Um, that said, don't tell Joseph because he works in Fedora marketing and he'll kill me if I say this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I can't say who. I've been sworn to secrecy and I can't say what, but watch the Fedora YouTube channel over the next 48 to whatever three days is, 72 hours. Over the next few days, we're going to be scheduling a special event, a special Fedora podcast episode. I can't say who, I can't say what, but I can say that there's going to be an extra episode next week. Don't tell Joseph. I was sworn to see. <laughs> but uh, keep I'll an let eye that out. tease fly. <laughs> and if you haven't, please subscribe to the channel and hit that notification icon. That way, when we do have special episodes, you will get notified. And in fact, you'll get notified when we go uh, about 30 minutes before we go live. Sometimes that notification reminds me that, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to prep for a show. Um, but uh Awesome to have all of you in the audience. George, Timothy, thank you both for being our guest. My co-host today was Joseph, and uh, I am Eric, the IT Guy Hendricks. And until next week, have an awesome, awesome time. Thank you all for being a part of the Fedora podcast. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Thanks, Joseph. Thanks, Eric. Are you going to tell us now? No. Are you going <laughs> <laughs> to? the recording. Man. Tell me what it is. You just saw the recording. <laughs> all right.